any knowledge. Okay, there's of only a- two possibilities. A, you're full of shit. Or I'm not full of shit. A, you're full of shit, or B, you are an empath and you don't know it. Or C, I have good fucking ideas and I should be working in Hollywood because, oh my God. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Can you see the end of winter in San Diego, California? Uh, yes, Cassidy Robinson. See, see, uh, here's the thing. You have to decide if you want to go right into banter or if you want me to fucking introduce you. It's You do this every week. You're like... Keith Foster, here's an open-ended question. You are Cassidy Robinson. This is your fucking show. And yeah, winter's fine here. Uh, It's it's actually been kind of um, unseasonably warm already. Mm -hmm. But let's not talk about the weather because that is literally the worst thing. Yeah, that that is like scraping the bottom of the barrel of content. I, it's because you have the background with the palm trees, and that's, I just literally, it's like, I love lamp. It's where I went with that. <laughs> so Just be like hey, Keith Foster living the Cabo Wabo lifestyle. Right. Well, there you go. That's all it needed to be. This episode, we're going to be reviewing the HBO Max film, The Little Things. Uh, and for our streaming homework, you assigned me. Sam Raimi's Darkman, which came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I watched it on Amazon, but I believe you if, you, if you're not an Amazon subscriber, which most people are, but if you're not, it's available through um, that IMDb TV app. So I'm no longer an Amazon Prime subscriber because I'm trying to uh, put my money where my mouth is with like hating Jeff Bezos and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he just is stepping down, but you know what I mean? Like right. uh, being so anti-Amazon, but having an Amazon Prime subs- uh, subscription is, you know, pretty hypocritical. So uh, I canceled my Prime subscription. Well, me, my wife canceled our Prime subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was still able to watch it on Amazon. It just it just had commercials. Yeah, same here. I think it's that, it's that IMDb app or whatever so anyways it's available this is kind of going to be an old school episode so we're, bring, <laughs> we're bringing back a couple segments we haven't done in a while and i wanted to start off with a little consumo bay we haven't done that for a while oh fuck i'm not prepared for this i know i wanted to spring it upon you <sighs> you've, you've had okay. months and months and months to uh absorb some sort of uh media that is not, you know, directly involved with what we do on the podcast. So, um, I could, e- if you want me to start, I can. Uh, I have no, things. I, think I, I mean, sure, go ahead and start. But I think I have my answer. Okay, so it's this is about what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're currently obsessed with. I just got my vinyl pre-order in for the new Portrayal of Guilt album. Uh, they're a three-piece. Screamo band from Austin, Texas. I saw them 
Um, a couple of years ago in San Diego, actually, at the Shea Cafe, I saw them play with uh, Page 99 and Majority Rule. They were doing like a reunion tour thing. And uh, Portrayal of Guilt were like a brand new fresh band at the time. And they kind of do like a sort of stripped down metallic hardcore kind of thing with like some screamo influences. And then a, like, I think they sound like a black metal band. Like everyone calls them screamo and they tour with screamo bands. But to me, they sound like more like an American black metal thing. Okay. Um, and their new record, which I do not remember the title of, they always have like really, I mean, they're screamo bands. So they have like really long titles. Um, that's something that's uh that's a tradition's kind of, died away a little bit like that used to be like that hit really right you know, like uh fallout boy made that really popular yeah um uh yeah it's a fun tradition i could go into the whole history of where that comes from but i won't do that um Please the don't. name of the new album is we are always alone and it's not even that long it should be like we are always alone on a planet drifting <laughs> through the galaxy in an unknown field of blackness right well i mean the the single that they released right before the pandemic hit and i mean like literally a week before it was called Mm. the end of man will bring peace to this earth all right (laughs) (laughs) uh slightly prophetic there yeah a little a little too much but uh yeah if the, the new album we are always alone is probably their most like fully produced um their biggest sounding record but the most like concise and like sharp songwriting so uh, if you're into heavy music or if you're into stuff, if you're into black metal or any kind of metallic kind of thing, you might be into it. Um, it is more on sort of the extreme side of things, although they do sort of mix it up a little bit. There's some like clean vocals and stuff every now and then. Um, but yeah, digging that. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is a new podcast that I've been listening to for a little while. It's uh, it's called End on End. Uh, this is also somewhat music related. They they review every uh, Discord catalog title. Like every week is a new, uh, you know, they start from, you know, Discord 1, the Teen Idols, and then go all the way to, I guess, that Kariki album that came out last year. That's um, so right now they are in the 20s. And this is like right in like 1985 and 86, like when the whole Revolution Summer thing is starting and like Rites of Spring is some and Grey Matter and some of those bands um, like like heading into like the post hardcore Fugazi thing mm-hmm. uh, and, and out of the like straight two minute hardcore songs. Um, kind of more when they start to int- when the label started introducing more like, I guess, like college rock, for lack of a better word. Um, but. Yeah, it's a really cool podcast. They bring on a lot of guests, people from the DC scene, people who are in the bands, as well as people who've, you know, been documenting it and writing about it for a long time or sort of peripheral to that to that scene. Um, very long episodes, uh, usually hanging out around two and a half to three hours. So it's one of those ones I can kind of be listening to for the better part of the week, like in between things that I'm doing. Um, and I've been enjoying it a lot. It's, it's kind of started out a little rough, like the first like four or five episodes. I wasn't so sure. And then they got a new co-host and the quality of the show went way up. Sort of like this show. Hey, <laughs> random big on Richard. Oh yeah. There's some shade at former co-host Richard <laughs> Wally, who only isn't doing the show because 
He got he too a, busy having a fucking family. Yeah, he had to have a kid and ruin it. Um, <laughs> but go ahead. What is your thing? What are you? Uh, what are you obsessed with? What's your thing? Uh, um, I've really been into, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit uh, off off pod. Um, I've been really into uh, the Disney Plus original series WandaVision. Oh, um, yeah. Of course we're talking about WandaVision. Yeah. Of uh, I, yes. I, I also think, like, it's kind of a shame that, um, you know, like Disney Plus, uh, they're doing all these sh- MCU shows, which so we won't probably won't talk about them too much on the podcast because we primarily review no. movies yeah unless um, and it, i would think with the case of wandavision it will eventually dovetail into the mcu movie maybe, universe or or maybe we could record some like special uh Ooh. deep dive series or something if this pandemic keeps going i mean um, I am, i'm almost certain that plot stuff that comes from the series is going to end up in the movies well, yes. It seems they're setting it up that way, but go ahead. Anyway, this is a whole other different discussion that I wanted to go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been really into it. Um, I I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's cool to see the MCU branch out from their comfort zone mm-hmm. um, uh, to do something that's pretty different from their traditional movies. Um, I think it has a really creepy undertone to it. Um, uh, it's, it's got some vibes, uh, as the kids say, if, if you're unfamiliar with the concept, uh, this takes place after all the Marvel movies we're up to so far, episode by episode is kind of going through different decades of television. Um, but Mm -hmm. with some, uh, some, some kind of dark undercurrents of, um, uh, alternate reality shenanigans. So I have really been into it. I think they, they're genre parody stuff uh where they're like each episode is kind of a different uh decade of sitcom stuff Mm -hmm. i think is on fucking point um and there's definitely like this puzzle box mystery element to it that is slowly unfolding as the series progresses that i yeah there's an overarching plot that's sort of slowly revealing itself as it goes um, it ramps up quite a bit after the first like three or four episodes. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's like more episode so three. than I thought it would. I I honestly thought that they were just going to keep hinting for like a full season. What reminded me of like yeah, the, the first couple episodes are pretty uh pretty like just straight s- television episodes. Yeah, with like a couple little things that you're like, oh, that's weird, and then. Yeah, I think it's like the third or fourth episode. It's like, oh, fuck. Okay, they're just like jumping into it now. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me a lot of the structure of Lost when it first started. Kind of, um, That yeah. might scare people away. It shouldn't. But, you know, back in 2005 when, you know, we had <laughs> much more uh, positive feelings about Lost. Um, you know what? I think pop culture has learned... Uh, in general, has has broadly learned the right lessons from Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I I think Lost cashed a, or wrote a lot of checks it couldn't cash, mm-hmm. but it also walked so a lot of TV could run. How many metaphors can I cram into this sentence? <laughs> I know where you're going with that, and I totally agree. Um, yeah, for you know, good, bad, or otherwise, say what you will about Lost. It like I think kind of changed television. In a lot, I don't in, think in kind of way. at all. I think it is absolutely 100% a watershed moment and 
when they talk about the history of TV in 25, 30 years, assuming the species is still around and we're mm-hmm. still doing uh, weird introspective docu-series stuff, I think they will absolutely point to Lost as as uh, as a crossing of the Rubicon. I think it, it absolutely changed television forever. Yeah, if, if at the very least it made it more character-oriented. Um but that's what I like about WandaVision is, and I was kind of skeptical of it at first when yeah, we were I know first you were, seeing you the fucking asshole. Well, they, you're wrong. The ads weren't really showing anything. It was just like, but sh- that's good. No, I know, I know. Generally, but I just was like, everybody was like, "Oh my god, I can't wait!" And I was like, "Why?" It's just like all it is is like leave it to Beaver stuff with with uh, no that's Wanda not all and, it is. and Vision. And, uh, I mean, why is this specifically getting you excited other than it has Marvel on it? But I, I have come around. It. It's a very cool show. It's a, you know, it's a great water cooler kind of show, even though we can't go to the proverbial water cooler right now. The yeah, Zoom it, show. It, this actually kind of bums me out because I know for a fact all of my coworkers are watching it and I would love, love to talk to them about it. But um, I, I have also one more thing. Uh, I don't know. This might actually affect your your movie news. I don't know if this Mm-mm. is going to come up, but uh, um, we'll see. There is a uh, Audible exclusive audiobook, I guess is the best way to put it, of the Sandman series. Uh, the first, uh, I think it's just the first graphic novel, and it's uh, narrated by Neil Gaiman and. Mm-hmm. Has a really cool cast, like uh, James McAvoy does the voice of Dream, and it, it's presented as he uh, Neil Gaiman reads all the narration, so it kind of feels like an old school radio drama. Um, like all the characters are sort of cast as different voice actors, and uh, I'm I'm a couple. Uh, I, I mean, they're chapters, but it feels like episodes. Um, I'm a couple uh, chapters in, and so far it is like a really cool translation. Um, I wasn't sure how a comic book would work as right, that's an audiobook. What, that's what I was thinking when you said that. But did did Gaiman ever novelize it, or did anybody ever? I don't think so. Not. I, I mean, there might. I don't know. Uh, there might be like. I don't think he novelized like the sort of core story right um, i don't know there might be some side stuff or whatever yeah but as as far as i know it it only existed as the um dc vertigo comic so the i started laughing um in like silently when you were describing it because i i immediately thought well how are they going to <laughs> describe the images in a comic book and then i reminded me of that old SNL sketch where Phil Hartman and Danny DeVito, Phil Hartman's doing, um, oh, fucking Moses. What's his name? Old actor. Oh, Charlton Heston. Charlton, yeah, doing Charlton Heston. Let read. people go. Yeah, he's, do, he's reading Madonna's sex book. Oh, and then Danny yeah, yeah. DeVito describes the pictures. <laughs> Have you, uh, uh, there's a, a good one that College Humor did a while ago. When um, Fifty Shades of Grey was, uh, you know, big. And it yeah. was um, uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey. I remember audio. that. Yeah, kind of a riff on the My same My vagina! 
Kind of a riff on the same idea, yeah. Yeah, um, just like the most unappealing voice actors, do, like <laughs> reading the sexiest parts uh, of Fifty stuff. Shades of Grey. Yeah. Anyway, anyway I, that sounds cool, I guess. Uh, so yeah, this is it's an audio book, but I think it it feels more like an audio drama. Like it feels like an old style kind of radio, like a radio show. show. Uh, and I just, I, so far I think it translates really well. Um, I was skeptical at first too. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it, uh, I think it's, it's really cool. If you're a fan of the Sandman series, uh, the comic books, I think this is a, uh, definitely a notable translation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go ahead and transition into the movie news. This, we haven't done it in a little bit, but we got some stories that's piled up over the last little while um so i'm just gonna pull that up really fast okay so do i want to do this one sure i don't know okay a new willy wonka movie lands release date and they're looking Mm. at this is a little while ago so i wonder if they've actually updated this if they've chosen it's going to be a willy wonka prequel and it may star ryan gosling donald glover Ezra Miller, Tom Holland, okay. Timothy Chalamet, pretty much the, anybody in that age group they're looking at. Those were the names I he- had heard was Timothy Chalamet and Tom Holland. And yeah, I think like, those are the ones that are kind of whittling it down to. Uh, yeah, not a fan. I, I don't know. I, I mean, again, uh, we have railed about remakes and unnecessary sequels. And I think, uh, honestly... As far as I would much rather have a reboot or a sequel or a reimagining any fucking day before a prequel. Just I don't in general. Like, just any, in general. Of any IP. Yeah. I don't like prequels. I don't like them. Uh, they usually the sto- don't turn out well. No. You know why? The story starts when the fucking story starts. <laughs> the stuff that happens before the story isn't the story. I right. fucking hate prequels. There is uh, there is an underlying lack of tension because you know it works out, however, unless it's like a crazy, like, ooh, this is leading into a reboot of the fucking thing, whatever. That's a whole different story. I don't like it. I don't care. I don't want to see... I don't get anything from seeing young Willy Wonka. I don't get anything from seeing the... Uh, Okay, here's an idea. A fucking prequel to Jurassic Park before there were dinosaurs. <laughs> Who cares? It would be I want about, the dinosaurs. It'd be about Hammond's Flea Circus. Like a whole movie yeah. about that. Oh, <laughs> god damn it. Why did we put this out in the universe? You um, know what RoboCop is before RoboCop? Cop! <laughs> I'm actually surprised that like there wasn't like a sci-fi series about Murphy when he was just a cop. God. in. In Detroit. I mean, um, that at least you could do like a cop procedural thing. So With some like, like sci-fi elements where he's fighting like, what was that big fucking robot? Ed 209? Yeah. Um, and they would introduce all the villains and, and myth without yeah, introducing without the Robo character. Cop. Like a Gotham style thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. Fuck that. I don't want it. I don't <laughs> want to see it. I didn't like Gotham. Uh, anyway, whatever. Uh so that alone has me immediately turned off. Okay, what uh, about Timothy Chalamet and or Tom Holland? Do you have a favorite as far as that goes? Or no, I don't uh, think either of. Th- I'd like both actors fine, and I but know they're like, not 
Wonka. Then uh, yeah, I think Chalamet maybe a little bit more than the other. Um, no, he is too French and too broody. He's all like, I'm Wonka. <laughs> I am Wonka. Oh, I'm sad. I'm a sad boy. I don't. I don't really know Timothy Chalamet. Uh, my point is that I don't. I don't see either of them. I. I if we're gonna do new Willy Wonka content, I want Zach Galifianakis. I okay. want like of those choice of those actors you read to me. The only one that even sounds interesting <clears throat> would be Donald Glover. Like. Uh. I'm not even going to give it to Gosling. I am so not into this. No, I'm not either. I it, it is what it is. It's uh, we'll see if it even comes to fruition. It probably will because it sounds like a bad idea. Um, all right, <laughs> moving on. Well, we know how you felt about that. How do you feel about this Wizard of Oz remake in the works at New Line with director Nicole Cassell? Didn't they fucking do this like ten years ago with James Franco? That was a prequel, actually. Oz the Great and Powerful, um, which is the story of how uh, the Wizard of Oz lands in Okay. Um, Oz. That at least... That was supposed to kind of, like, become a franchise, and it just didn't. It kind of, you know, was one of those, like, aborted franchises. Was that Disney? That feels Disney. I don't know. Sam Raimi. Um, I don't think it was, actually. Um... Okay, yeah, I. Here, this is a re. This is a full on remake. And is it is it going to so be a musical? That's what I want to know. You know, it's a. I'm, I'm trying to see here. Because uh, if they, New if Line they, promises the upcoming film will be a fresh take on Dorothy <sighs> in the Land of Oz, adding that it can draw on other elements from Garland's Wizard of Oz, like the prized ruby slippers. Who gives a shit about that at all? Yeah, it's going to end with a big fucking CGI battle with Dorothy, like, charging in a battle with Ruby fucking armor, <laughs> battle armor, fighting an army of, of flying, monkeys. flying monkeys. Yeah. Don't care. Uh, if if they actually went into, like, we're going to reimagine it as a full musical, I might be a little more interested. See, I'm, um, I'm kind of the opposite. I would rather... At least the music's good, though. Like Right. So here's the thing. Here's all my feelings about Lady this. Lady Gaga singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Come on, give it to me. Sure. Uh, here's my feelings on a Wizard of Oz remake. And the, the place I saw this, the people were very, very mad online about it. Yeah. Um, the movie's 70 years old. Yeah. Go for it. Like, yeah, I, I'm... Also, it is a fucking cinematic classic. Like it is, you know. If you think you can outdo it, fucking please bring that to me. You know, like. And I think there's, I think there's like different, like there's different types of movies. Some lend themselves to reimaginings better, better than others. I would, I'd much rather see a reimagining of something like this, which is like steeped in mythology. It comes from a book, like a children's book. Yeah. Actually, the Judy Garland movie was a remake. There was a silent film before that. It's also like, it's not like it hasn't been revisited. There was The Wiz. There was Return, Return to Oz. Oz yeah. There was this weird James Franco. Like, there is Muppets enough Wizard mythos. of Oz. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is enough mythos. Yeah, you can riff on it. You can, you play, can play around with the parts. Whereas, like, something like Citizen Kane or Casablanca, 
they're just Citizen Kane and Casablanca. Yeah, they exist at like solely as movies. They right. they were intended to be what they were at the time, and they you know they delivered like that's what they are. Uh, no, I I agree with you. I'm so not. I'm not upset with the idea. My thing is, I don't want them just to do a, a shot for shot like Disney style live action remake where they just do the same movie again, but with new actors, that would be incredibly boring. I would want to see a new take where, you know, do not necessarily change the story. Like you can keep the bones of, of the story, but just, you know, something like the whiz, I guess, but hopefully less terrifying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Nic- I'm, I'm Nicole not Cassell. The- she mostly has done television. Um, who? Nicole Cassell, the director that uh, she, mm. the only film she's really done is The Woodsman in 2004 with uh, Kevin Bacon and mm. a very bad romantic tragedy kind of thing called A Little Bit of Heaven. Yeah, with uh, Kate Hudson. Um, so that that's terrifying that. Those are her only film credits, but she's done a lot of TV since, and they're in the story, the the variety story I'm reading, they're mostly crediting her as um, having directed a lot of episodes of Watchmen. What it... Ooh, ooh okay. All right. Three episodes. Um, she's also done some Castle Rock. She's done some Westworld. She's in the TV world right now. She, she, but she's done some good TV. She's done some notable TV. Um, sure. When I say I want it to be a musical... New songs... Yeah, uh, like, like like a new take on again, like the Wiz. Like cool. I think that would be the Wiz's musical, right? Yeah, yeah. He's I on think down that the would road. be cool. You could, you know, throw in a couple like um, uh, classics, a couple bangers that we know, like somewhere over the rainbow or whatever, and then uh, give us a bunch of new stuff. Like, but I don't think that that uh, I don't have enough faith in Hollywood to to have the balls to, to attempt do that. that. Yeah, I think it's kind. Of, I think they're going to color in the lines. Especially getting a director who's not like particularly, I don't know, for lack of a better auteur. Um, if I were to, you know, get somebody behind this, it would be Guillermo del Toro or yeah. or uh, Tarsem Singh, I think would rock this. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe this uh, this woman uh, who I already Nicole Cassell. Nicole Cassell. Maybe she. Maybe has a Guillermo it. del Toro inside of her, you know, maybe she right. just is... is well, she gets the neat. right art director, she gets the right whatever. So, of course, they're going to throw a gazillion dollars at this, so... Yeah. Uh, I, I'm i not as opposed to this as I am the Wonka thing. No, yeah, I'm not offended by this. I don't expect great things, but I don't think it is a non-starter. Yeah, I, I am honestly expecting pretty close to somewhere between Disney's live-action Alice in Wonderland that Tim Burton did, and Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, which neither of those are good, and if this goes that route, it also won't be good, but I think there's room for something cool. Yeah, it could surprise us. All right, so... As long Pedro- as it's not a fucking prequel. <laughs> Pedro Pascal as cast... This just dropped today. Pedro Pascal as cast as Joel in HBO series adaptation of The Last of Us. I don't know anything about... Is this a video game, I think? Yeah, I. you picked a bad news story. I don't know... You don't know anything about, about this either? Uh, I, I mean, I know... 
I'm vaguely aware it's like a zombie um, survival horror game. Is and they it? also cast... Um, oh, I can't think of the actress's name. Um, she played Liana Mormont um, in Game of Thrones. Anyway, um, she's she's a really good little actress. That Actually, can you edit that? Uh, <laughs> can you cut that out? Uh, I did not mean that to sound as derogatory as it, it came out. I, I just meant... Uh, she's a young actress, and she's very talented. Um, uh, and she's being cast as L Ellie. Sure. Um, See, you're. This is where you were supposed to tell me everything about why people care about The Last of Us. I I mean, people do. It's. Um, Are you not as connected to the video game world as you used to be? Not at all. Uh, and I'm not. I'm even less connected to like survival horror stuff. I'm I'm at least five years behind in video games, so mm-hmm. um, I I know people are very happy about this. People are very excited. Oh, I'm always excited to see more Pedro Pascal. He's great. Um, mm-hmm. I liked him a lot in Wonder Woman 1984. Of course, he's great in The Mandalorian. Um, so you know, good for him. Uh, HBO does good work. I would. I don't need another oh, zombie. Thing? Is this gonna be HBO? HBO series adaptation. Oh, I didn't know it was a series. All right. Yeah. So, I'm again. I don't need if it is zombies. That's that kind of is a bummer to me because I just really don't care about zombies anymore, yeah. um, or at least right now as far as new zombie content goes. But I would be maybe a little bit more excited to see HBO's spin on it than say TNT or I don't know whatever else other network out there wants to do it. I do know that this has a pretty, um, you know, it'll have the budget. Yeah. And, and I think, <clears throat> you know, this is one of those, uh, as video games have evolved, they've become much more, um, interested in storytelling as a part of the experience of gameplay. And so I think we are getting closer and closer to the good video game adaptation singularity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so who knows, this might be, might be that, um, I, I'm not yeah. sure we've gotten it yet, um, but it makes you know, more what? sense in a way. It makes more sense to adapt a video game to a series than it does a movie because I think yeah. people experience video games over a longer period of time. Yeah, they have like you yeah. know forty, fifty hour playthroughs usually. Like yeah. Uh, last news story, and this also dropped today. Face off, facelift. Oh God, I hate these like fucking. This was the one. This was the one I tweeted about. Right. No. Yeah. I, I, the story is whatever, but I I hate when the uh, the editors like have these silly headlines. Oh yeah. Face off oh. facelift to be delivered by Godzilla versus Kong director Adam Wingard, also director of Your Next and the guest. Uh, and uh, he did a Blair Witch sequel, I think, that did not do so well. Yeah. Uh, I lit so. I literally tweeted earlier this afternoon before mm. I heard the story. I said, uh, "Pedro oh, Pascal, shut your stupid mouth! You did I, not. Yes, you did not tweet that before the story. I tweeted this way before I read the story. But did you know about it? No, no idea. You just had your finger tweeted, on the pulse that yeah. in a couple hours. Fuck yeah." Well, I think it was because I heard about the Pedro Pascal news of Last of Us. Anyway, so I tweeted at 1.30 this afternoon, Pedro Pascal and Oscar Isaac in a new face-off movie. Uh, you can Venmo me my millions of dollars at Keith Foster Kid. 
and then, fucking shit you not, like, five hours later, I read this headline, uh, and I was like, all right. There's a bunch of people doing that exact tweet. Like, they're putting who they would have and, like, you know, picture, picture. I had no idea. I had no idea. I tweeted this completely independently of any knowledge. Okay, there's only two possibilities. A, you're full of shit. I'm not full of shit. A, you're full of shit. Or B, you are an empath and you don't know it. Or C, I have good fucking ideas and I should be working in Hollywood (laughs) because, oh, my God. Come on, Pedro Pascal and Oscar Isaac in this? They would crush. It'd yeah, be I'd so awesome. That. I was literally just thinking like, oh, I like Pedro Pascal. I like Oscar Isaac. This would be a fun thing for them to do. And then this fucking story. I, fuck you. <laughs> uh, anyway. Hours later. See, I thought it, you were responding yes. to it. No. Like everybody else was. No. Okay, well, I don't know. Maybe so. that maybe I was like scrolling through Twitter that planted it subconsciously, but I had no idea there was a new face off movie in the work. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, those are two actors who I would love to see in that, in those roles. I like Adam Wingard. Um, I like, yeah. I, I like your next. I've actually never seen The Guest. I need to see The Guest. People, I do too. People maybe, like that maybe, movie. Maybe assign that. Yeah. A- we'll put that on the thing. Um, uh, but that generally gets a lot of love. And I think he was involved in like the some of the VHS movies and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I it, think he did. In the um, early days, he came from that kind of like mumble gore scene um, along with oh, like Ty God. West and some of those guys. And then, yeah, now he's doing big movies. He's going to be doing the new Kong movie, mm-hmm. um, which, which everyone's looks, excited about. I'm so excited. I, I, I'm sad I won't be able to see it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, but very excited for the movie. Uh, yeah, I I'm into this. I think I think if we're gonna do reboots, like this is what we should be doing. If we're gonna be doing remakes, like let's pick up. There was a slew of weird '90s action movies that, like, let's just go through Nicolas Cage's whole fucking catalog. Con Air, <laughs> uh, give me a new one. Um, really? Fuck yeah. Okay, I mean, if you say so. Are you, are you kidding me? You wouldn't see a new Con Air? I'm not sure if I've seen the old Con Air all the way through. I mean, I I might have. Like, it's it doesn't. It, if it did, it didn't leave okay. much of an impression. No, we're done. Um, we're done. Podcast over. <laughs> we're done. We're done. Walking off frame now. We're done here. I can't hear you. I took my headphones off. I know. I'm done. <laughs> you haven't seen Con Air. I might have. Okay, hold on. I'm putting my headphones back on. I might have. I might have. I might, I think it's edited on TV or half of it or something like that. All I'm saying is like, that, like, okay. actually, want... I'm, I'm saying the opposite of what you think I'm saying. I think um, people have pretty strong feelings about the first face-off. I mean, John Woo. It yeah, was it's a, a great movie. Big movie at the time. It's ridiculous, campy '90s action in all, and I mean that in all the best ways. Like, right. It so is, I think it's kind of a time and place movie. I don't know if it's gonna, if it would really serve a remake very well. This to me, this is like when they tried to remake Total Recall. I I, I can see, I 
I mean, I could see it going that way for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I think with it has the a fun right... conceit. The whole like switching faces, exactly. and I and, think like, if you play you know, actors with... pretending to be each other, yeah, I think if you play with that, if you play with the concept uh, in a in a way that is d- different than the original movie, but also serves it like mm-hmm. I am for this. I think I think the right script, the right director, uh, and I I. Don't have any reason to not be confident in Adam Wingard. We'll see how uh, Godzilla versus Kong goes, but um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm for it. I I think um, I think that concept is just so fun that we could remake it every 15, 20 years, and I would be happy with it. I think it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, but I also think you have to have the right actors. Like you have to, and, and they have to be like. Big enough stars that, like, that's part of the fun of it. Like, right. this was John Travolta and Nick Cage at, like, the their height of yeah. their popularities. Or, you know, the third coming of uh, John Travolta, anyway. Right. Um, And, you know, like, they were kind of doing impressions of each other. but Yeah, in- so they have the, the actors have to be distinct enough that, that you, you pick that up. Exactly. And they have to be good enough actors to, like, have, like... To also make it fun. Mm. Uh, because that's the other thing about the original is like sometimes it is so self-serious, but in the best ways. Like it buys into this concept so fucking hard that uh like I love it. It's a fun movie. Um a re- if you a really fun triple feature, if you on like a rainy day when you don't have anything to do, would be Face off, Con Air, The Rock, probably yeah. in that order, uh, and that would just be like a ki- a crusher triple feature. Like Nick Cage was killing it then. Yeah, he sure was. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings about this story. Um, I do think the casting is going to be tricky. In fact, your idea of Pedro Pascal and and uh, Oscar Isaac, I think the, those two are both too subtle and. To really pull that off. I don't think either of them have a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think they're both... They're both very, very good actors, but they're I more kind of chameleonic. Yes, but I think they're both good enough at making a character uh, from scratch that they would be able to make really good characters that the other could play. Like, mm. it, it, you know, that's part of it, too. Like, I... I think it'd be great. Uh, Oscar, Oscar, as it I mean, would I would cle- watch it, but it would, I think it would be easier to stunt cast two actors who instantly have like a recognizable movie I mean, persona. Sure, but that that doesn't exist as much anymore. No, I, so, not really. No. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know who you would cast as far unless as, you go for it, people who are older, which at the time they were not young. All right. Tweet well. us your casting suggestions for the Face Off remake <laughs> at MacGuffin Pod. Yes. All right. Let's move on. Let's get into the review of the week. This is the HBO film The Little Things. Um, do you want me to go with this or you? Do you care? I'll do it. All right. What is The Little Things? Premiered now on HBO Max. Okay, the little things is uh, Denzel Washington is playing this cop who is now he's like a sheriff's deputy in the middle of Nevada or like 
somewhere. Well, I guess it has to be California. Um, He's like uh, north of of uh, L.A. Barstow. Like something, yeah, yeah like like a hundred miles or so from from L.A. Anyway, the the middle of the fucking desert, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to go to L.A. to get some DNA samples for this uh, assault case. And while he's there, he uncovers evidence uh, that reignites an old serial killer case and gets him to start investigating this this old case, uh, even though it's very much out of his jurisdiction. Um, a younger homicide detective, played by Rami Malek, sees that Denzel has been around the block. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And so he kind of leans on him for some help and advice uh, in tracking down this uh, notorious serial killer. Right. Or mysterious serial killer, because they don't know exactly who it is. They have some leads, kind of, but not really. This is uh, written and directed by John Lee Hancock, who also did The Blind Side. And uh, uh, what was the other one he did? Saving Saving Mr. Banks. Um, not, this is a little out of his wheelhouse. This is kind of like a thriller mystery noir. So (laughs) I I think we, I think we have feelings on this movie. Yeah. I didn't care for it. Uh, I'm just going to go out there and say this. Uh, I'm just right off the bat. I think it's basically trying to take the best things from the true detective TV show and the movie seven and not doing either of them as effectively. Um, yeah. I was almost with this movie until Jared Leto comes into the picture. And I, this movie isn't great to begin with, but he definitely ruins it. See, I didn't mind him in this. I don't, I don't have like a unnecessary hate for Jared Leto like you do, but I would not call it unnecessary, but I do have a hate. (laughs) I think he's, I, I have more issues with Jared Leto as a person than I do as an actor. Um, I have issues with both. I think he's a piece of shit and a bad actor, and <laughs> and usually the piece of the piece of shit actors at least can skate by on talent. Uh, he doesn't have that. Not that they should be able to, but he has neither. Anyway, so we'll, we'll return to Jared Leto. But yeah, my main issues with this movie is that it in it's very slow, but not in like a slow burn kind of way. It, it thinks it is, but it's yeah. actually just very boring mm-hmm. and. Um, it's just police procedural 101 the whole time. It's very low effort. Uh, every scene is chock-a-block with boring exposition you've heard in every Law & Order SVU episode you've ever watched your whole life. The characters only talk in... The case, basically. Yeah, basically or, or, talk about the case. Or plot. Or plot, yeah. I mean, I'll give... I'll give uh, Denzel Washington, he really tries to infuse, yeah. he tries to build a character out of what is nothing on the page. I, um, yeah, I think He's Denzel's playing every, like, world-weary detective you've ever seen in a noir, ever. Um, it's, the whole movie is just a pastiche upon pastiche, but he uh, but does, he, he builds he's, a character, and he's, he's actually- He's doing the work, yeah. Yeah, he's actually somewhat compelling to watch, even when there's literally nothing happening in the movie, which is most of the time. I think Rami Malek bothered me more than Jerry, Jared Leto. He, I didn't love Rami Malek. I think I think he's supposed to be like this hotshot, like L.A., like yeah, you know, movie star cop, and 
he, you know, he wears a suit and sunglasses and he just comes off like such a cheese ball, which to an extent is supposed to be the that way but, but but you really only get that from like the first interaction and then that is kind of immediately dropped like right and here's the thing i don't i don't think rami malik is necessarily bad in this i think he's just really miscast and i think he's kind of bad i actually think he's mm-hmm. kind of bad okay. he's doing a lot of mugging um there's a lot of like weird ticks and character choices he makes that just come off as show-offy and maybe he's frustrated that there's so little on the page too that he's just trying to put as much into it put, as possible yeah, put something in it yeah um, I, but I it mean, just kind of comes off as like a cartoon character i get and, what you're talking about he doesn't feel real he know he, no. he definitely but i mean this whole movie feels that way it feels i like halfway through i turned to my wife and i said this feels like a movie that other people would be watching in another movie yeah it, like it, it feels it's one like step a caricature in that way. Yeah, it's it's so general. Um, like every single plot device I use, like the you know the case that was never solved that haunts him to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the, the two murders clues. that are too similar, and and you know, the, do they intersect, and how do they intersect? The, and the subtle clues to a past tragedy that is driving Denzel's character. Yeah, the every whole time. single thing is so rote and so popular. And there's so there's a way you can do, you know, basic ass noir tropes and still be super fun. Deep. And yeah, still, yeah. still be engaging, and and you know, yeah, lean into it, and and yeah, I I mean, I think the pro, uh, a big part of the problem is this movie comes across as so self serious and mm. so uh, without any irony of how much it's fucking ripping from every other cop story that exists. Right. There's like n- nothing special about this, and then we get to Jared Leto, <laughs> See- who. So well, the first two thirds of the movie is just painfully boring. The last third is really stupid. Yes, and the characters it's so act, bad. The the characters just make the, the dumbest the dumbest decision and totally out of jurisdiction, tur- totally illegal. And, and not nobody even, in this movie has ever heard of a warrant. And not even <laughs> dumb decisions in a way that's like that relatable. makes sense. Yeah, like sometimes you're watching a horror movie and you're like, you know, it's like the oh, don't go up the stairs, but you you kind of get it because it's like, well, you gotta run somewhere, but uh, <laughs> but in this, it's like, oh, don't do that thing that's wildly illegal and dangerous. <laughs> like, yeah, what the fuck nothing are you in the doing? movie makes sense, and I get that they're trying to push it like, you know, it's about obsession and it's about like them getting wrapped up in the case well, and, and it, losing and, themselves and, in it, blah blah blah. And it's but, like a morality thing, but again, I don't buy it. All of this is done better in every other cop movie you've ever seen right specifically watch true detective and uh the first season and seven like this is literally just a mashup of those two things in a way that there's a little bit of there's a little bit of uh uh zodiac in here as well like the the movies visually especially lifting a lot from from Fincher, um, and not doing it nearly as well. Although I will say it's a good looking movie. Yeah, that's visually, definitely the probably the best part about it is it it has some atmosphere, but um, to you know it's you know it's all just it's, it's all just dressing. Yeah, yeah it, um, it's, absolutely nothing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Now, can we talk about Jared Leto? So I, in defense of Jared Leto, 
I don't think that because he's doing a lot of like what Moloch was doing with just ticks and weird acting choices. That's all he does now. Pretty much ever since he won his actor, his his Oscar for um, uh, Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club. Club. Now he's like, you know, the genius um, method actor or whatever. And so all of his stuff are just these really obvious, you know, oh, I'm going to starve myself or oh, I'm going to fucking it's be like weird he on thinks, set. And- it's like he thinks he's the best parts of Johnny Depp and Christian Bale, but he's actually the worst parts of Johnny Depp. <laughs> right. So so he's doing a lot of acting in this movie with a capital okay. A. Uh, I, I just have to say. I'll I- say, though, I kind of had fun with it because at least it's something. He's a ridiculous character, but I, I, so I almost kind of feels like he he is no. as dumb as the movie is at this point. And at least at least it's kind of entertaining watching him overact I, and be like, I, you know, creepy, weird, you know, okay. spaghetti hair man. Oh, my God. It is. With his like weird okay, any, prosthetic anyone, nose and like anyone a who has ever fake done a beer acting, gut that looks like he has a pillow in his shirt. What the fuck is the beer gut? <laughs> what is that? And and he's doing this weird limp. Like he fucking makes yeah. a performance out of just walking down the street, and it's like, okay, come on. Yeah. Like I get that every actor ever, and if if you're an actor, if you've ever done a fucking acting class, if you've ever done an improv class, if you've <laughs> done ever done any kind of performance art class, you know what I'm. I'm talking about when you say when I say character walks it's like we get it you can do some fucking character walks Jared Leto <laughs> it is such basic acting <laughs> and he thinks it is so good you can see it in his eyes oh it is he's such, chewing it up he's eating it up any any like I, if I wanted this kind of performance I would go to a fucking college like second level acting class. That's what this <laughs> shit is. It is so bad. In ev- again, every acting class ever, any any play, any whatever, uh, where you're working with less experienced actors, you're going to hear the director say, "Okay, I just want you to give me everything you got, and and uh, uh, if it's too big, I'll pull you back." Jared Leto never got that fucking back. note. No, he never got that fucking note. Or he this got is a it and more is more it. kind of performance. Oh now, he's not, my god! He's not bouncing off the walls and being like ridiculous. He might as well be. He kind of is the fucking. And there's a he scene. thinks he's being understated, but he's really. Oh really my not. god! There is a scene where he gets interrogated, and it yeah. is like him doing everything he didn't get to do as the Joker in the fucking Suicide Squad. I, I think he is so bad in this movie that it is like Razzie worthy. Ooh, okay. It is unwatch. It's embarrassing for me to watch. It is like right, but you. Bad. I, I. Do you think maybe you're a little primed to disagree with his choices? I mean, yeah, I hate Jared Leto. <laughs> I, I will admit, I am, I am biased when it comes to Jared Leto. Yeah. But Full disclosure: is- Jared Leto beat Keith up in an alley one time when he was like <laughs> waiting for one of his improv classes in LA. Like he was like, "Oh, Jared Leto, will you sign this thing?" And then Jared Honestly, Leto said, "Don't w- fucking look at me, you peon." And then he punched him in the face. Keith has hated him ever since. I would probably respect Jared Leto more <laughs> if this story was true. And here's the thing: uh, I think Jared Leto's a fucking creep and an asshole, and I think he's a bad actor. And those things are two independent things. Uh, we shouldn't let the creepy 
actors who are assholes get away with it, and we shouldn't watch bad ones either. He didn't save the little things for you. No. Oh my <laughs> god, no. I I mean, here's the thing. I I I do agree that the first bunch of it is pretty boring um and base and it feels like, it, it's two acts that feels like a first act to me it's like okay well this is just like a bad pilot for a tv show or whatever yeah uh the second the like the third act once jared leto's thoroughly mixed into the soup is bad is like it's bad it's real stupid but at least kind of like okay well this is at least action we've got more than people just talking about what's going on but now we you know there's characters making decisions yeah but it's and, like you know it, it it's more show know less, it's bad it's more it's show so and less tell and i think that's why i was a little bit more engaged because i was like we'll so, see where this goes it's so self-serious and thinks it's real smart and thinks it's real clever, and it's like, Mm-mm. it's not. It's not at all. I think it's so. It's the obvi- I don't know. opposite of clever. It's actually pretty hacky. The whole thing. Oh my god! The in the very end is like the hackiest shit. Again, it feels like it feels like a script uh, that they would talk about in Thirty Rock. Like it, it <laughs> like you know, Denzel and Jared Leto in this new movie about a serial killer. Like it feels like a it feels like a joke movie. But not in like a fun way, because you you say that, and then people will be like, "Oh, let's let's riff tracks this." No, you're gonna be bored to tears. I think you could riff tracks it, but <sighs> it it would be more difficult than it should be. Skip the first twenty minutes, and it is riff tracksable. I don't. Uh, I don't think it hour. is. I the think first this is, hour. This is like a dry piece of toast. There's with nothing on it. Um, yeah, uh, maybe I, we should fucking riff tracks it and see what people think. <laughs> I maybe I don't know. Uh, I give it a C minus. It, it's terribly average. It looks okay. That's what I'll I'll say is a positive. Uh, I, I kind of like the look of the film, the street, you know, photography and everything. And it has a decent uh, cold open. I guess. Um, and, and and I think Denzel is doing a really good job. There's like a little tertiary plot between him and the coroner, like kind of a romancey thing, and I was vastly more interested in that than anything else in the movie um uh, i liked the fingerprint tech who was a fucking oh dude. yeah like i'm an obnoxious nerd oh yeah see that was that was the what thing you're describing as jared leto to me like <laughs> yeah. that was so big but fun like it was like a much needed like sort of comedic kind of lift and and yeah. i think probably the most intentionally toned piece of the mo- movie like uh, Maybe I if it had know. a little bit, a few more moments like that, or a few more characters like that, I think okay, at least we're having fun here. He um, almost felt like a like a cutscene character from a video game or something. Like he's so like you're supposed to remember this guy kind of yeah, character. Y- totally. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm giving this movie a straight D. Uh, yeah, I I I think it could have been. C, C plus category had Jared Leto not fucking shit his pants. And <laughs> See, I actually, walk, if done, anything, dumb if, penguin walk. If anything, the stupid nonsense in the last in the last third of the movie was what actually is bumping it up from a from a D. Because if it had just been that was so dumb. It's dumb, but at least it's like something going on. It's so dumb. It's so bad. It is the bad. ending is so bad. I never called it good. 
<laughs> I know, but I would rather have... But at least there's, more... there's like the attempt at tension. The rest of the movie is just procedural shit we've seen in every Law & Order episode since 1990. But at least it's like uh, the end is so laughably bad. I think it is laughably a bad ending that it, it, I guess I guess uh, at that point we were having more fun because we were like, what the fuck is even going on? Exactly. But that doesn't see if the whole movie had been pitched at that. If there had been. Yes. If the, then, if the whole movie... then it would be like so bad. It's good. Then it would be campy. Then it would be ridiculous. Instead, it's just but really if, if boring. The whole movie and... was. But I, here's the thing. I also think if the whole movie had been dry as toast. We'd also be saying the same thing. I think I think part of the reason it's a bad movie that doesn't work is because it shifts tones halfway through and goes from boring to terrible and it doesn't work because it's too late to make it fun and it's it's like, you know, had the dumb started earlier, sure, or if the ending had been at least competent, sure. But it radically shifts gears <laughs> and is like, okay, well now it can't even be a cohesive fucking movie. Right. That makes it worse to me. It's bad. Don't watch it. Unless you yeah. already have. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the streaming homework, which you assigned me last week. This is Sam Raimi's Darkman, and this came out in 1990. I was trying to place it in my head. I was like, well, how old is this movie? Because there's I, there's things know, about it. Well, I, I, I'll, I won't review it until I at least describe it. So this stars Liam Neeson as a scientist who's trying to 3D print synthetic skin. Yes, that is a big motif throughout the whole movie. He's trying to, to create this synthetic skin, and for some reason, it doesn't stay stable under light. So for after 90 after minutes. 99, exactly 99 minutes, then it starts to dissolve and uh, he has to, you know, go back to the drawing board. He's dating Francis McDormand. He gets his business gets caught up in this uh, city mobster stuff. Um, led yeah, weird, uh, uh, like property scam. Why is yeah. it always like, pro <laughs> like these weird white collar Right. Anyway. So, yeah, there's this racketeer uh, who's run, who's like a mobster kind of thing, a corrupt guy running through the city trying to, you know, destroy property or whatever, whatever the hell is going on, uh, uh, played by Larry Drake named Robert Durant. Uh, you may remember him as Dr. Giggles back in the day. I, I um, Actually, it was like I a B-horror film that uh, is burned into my memory from walking down the video store aisles. <laughs> um, he destroys the lab with his goons and, uh, kills or blows it up and leaves Liam Neeson for dead, um, who is now, you know, terribly injured and horribly burned. And he is kind of rescued right before his final breath and is injected with all sorts of things. So now he no longer feels pain and he has these rage episodes. He escapes that. And goes back to building his lab to try and complete his work and also sort of heal himself from these horrible burns and scars that he now has so he can reenter normal society as well as 
get revenge on all of the gangsters who tried to kill him. Um, this is kind of a proto superhero movie in a lot of ways. And it's interesting. I wouldn't, I would say this is straight up a superhero movie. Well, yes, I, I meant proto in the sense of like the superhero era. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not based off a pre-existing IP. A pre-existing IP. And I looked it up because it seems so specific in so many ways that I thought, oh, surely this had to be like something like The Phantom or The Shadow or something like that. No, I think this was just a Sam Raimi Ridge. Yes, it is. I think he just like wanted to create a character like that. So it it, it exists in this weird space where... There's a a ton of, like, Burton's Batman happening in here. Of course, Danny Elfman also does a score, so that brings a lot of that. Yeah. Um, But it's it's heavily influenced by... I kind of kept forgetting this was Raimi until there would be, like, a very Raimi shot. Right, You know, like a a weird POV violence shot or whatever, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is Raimi, not Burton. Right, yeah, because of that. Um, I just said his name. Danny Elfman also did the score for Spider-Man later on. Yeah. Um, and that one's a little let he's, it's a little more original. It sounds less like the Batman score. Yeah. Um, but, and also like Darkman is a darker character and, and clearly more in the DNA of sort of the pulp detective. Yeah. Uh, versus Spider-Man who is, you know, brightly colored, uh, young character, youthful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different tone than Spider-Man, but you can definitely see, a lot of stuff that, you know, Darkman was kind of like uh, uh, his build-up to Spider-Man. Right, like, exactly. And that's where I was going is I felt like this is is kind of between two worlds in that it's it's post-Burton's Batman mm-hmm. and all of those pulp films that came from that time, like the, like the Shadow and the Phantom and the Rocketeer and all of that kind of stuff. There's also like the – there's some ultra-violence and it's, it's, it's kind of a hard R. In that, like, kid-friendly way, like, kid-friendly hard R, which was a thing at a point in time. It reminded me a little bit of, like, Verhoeven sometimes. It reminded me a little bit of Robocop. A little bit. Not I don't think it had quite the edge of Verhoeven, but it, I mean... It didn't have the satire. Yeah, and the the violence isn't... It's not as, like, splat-stick as, as, like, the Evil Dead and stuff, but No, not, not as much as Evil Dead, but that is in here. Yes, yeah, I mean, it... The violence feels very Raimi. The tone feels very Burton. Uh, it it's kind of but a, there's a, there's almost some like visual language to it that's new, and you can see him invent things that he would later use in Spider Man, and oh, that yeah. and that other movies would take from Spider Man. So in a way, this is kind of like a Rosetta Stone movie, um, in the world of like superhero action films. Totally. Um, but it's also not that great. I I mean, it's more thing, interesting th- than good. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, yes, it is fun. But I and I also think that some of that, I think some of that is intentional because like some of that campiness is translated to the Spider-Man movies, but in a much more intentional way. Um, I do I do think some of it is. I also think this is a. Uh, uh, like those movies you mentioned, The Phantom, The Shadow, Rocketeer, like none, a lot of those aren't great movies either, but they're fun. Like they are very no, entertaining. But I think because those movies are rooted in a source material, there's something that kind of anchors it and it has more solidarity within itself visually and, and cinematically. Whereas this film is, you know, just 
from the bizarre, crazy mind of San Raimi. And I sort of really liked that about it, though, was like... Yeah, this is like unrestrained Sam Raimi with a big budget, or a big budget at the time. Yeah, like the, the Evil Dead to Sam Raimi is like, you know, his take on the Cabin in the Woods Horror thing, film, his take yeah, on possession the possession films yeah. or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and this is like his version of the the superhero movie. It, it's, and he's, he's lit- that's why, why it's interesting, is because he's literally trying to take like... The panel style action, yeah, and and like how would you do that visually? And and I think the the reason why it works in Spider Man better than it does here because mm-hmm. I think that's this is largely a style over substance movie. Yeah. Um, why I think it works better in Spider Man is I think there is those characters, you know, and I think that the the conceits are better. Stuff that isn't from his mind. Um, the conceits are better. The the science fiction is better, and the the characters are more well drawn. So they they kind of tether all well, that crazy I, superhero stuff to something that's a little bit more relatable. Whereas this movie is always on a candy high. Yeah, I, no, I agree. And I think uh, I think another thing, you know, with Spider Man, there when that movie came out, there was like a sixty year history, so they could. They could draw from yeah. the moments they wanted to, whereas as Darkman, it feels like kind of they're trying to kind of create a shorthand for that. Right. Um, so there's some stuff that I feel like there's probably a context here that Sam Raimi knows about uh, that that just didn't translate. Well, it's certainly inspired by... I mean, if you know anything about like pulp history or comic history, oh yeah, like you can see all the inspirations of you know the secret or even like like mad scientist movies, like like yeah, you know, like the Invisible Man. And then of course, there's a lot of like uh, Phantom of the Opera is happening in this movie. I mean, yeah, there's all of that in here. But but what I mean is like so the if you trace Spider Man back to those early comics, right? Yeah, uh, a, a a lot of it reads that way. A lot, of, you know, a, a lot of those earlier comic books, a lot of those pulp stories that he's drawing from, read very like the way he. I I think a lot of this is intentional, um, oh, and and I oh, think course. that's yeah. why it's fun. Um, I do agree with you that it is it is probably more interesting than it is good. Yeah. Um, because uh, it, it kind of just made me want to rewatch Batman or Spider Man, right. like. Um, but I think as a bridge between those two worlds, it is a really fascinating movie. Um, I agree. And, you know, it's short enough and poppy enough that I, you know, I'm not getting bored with it. I do think, uh, uh, a couple things of note, um, the, the guy who plays Durant, um, I thought he was weirdly like one of the least interesting villains. I was like, okay, okay, he's the one we're sticking with. Like, he just, just, I don't know. He was very, uh, it was very weird that he was like the big bad to me. Um, uh, also, it did make me think, fuck, I wish Spider Man 3, instead of being the mess it was, uh, with all the villains it had, I was like, fuck, why didn't we get Sam Raimi's take on the chameleon? Because. He's doing a lot of that with this Darkman character. Like a lot Pretty of much. the idea is he prints this like 3D skin um, and, you know, like 
puts it on so he can impersonate these mobsters and stuff. And I feel like by the time Spider-Man 3 came around, those ideas might be a little bit more refined. Um, that I think he kind of was already there. And that would have been a much more interesting villain to see him like take this character he kind of already did that has a similar a similar uh, uh, power set and like make him the antagonist. It kind of, you know, he kind of could have made a Spider-Man versus Darkman movie. And I think that would have been so much more interesting than what we ended up getting with spider you know, with where that franchise went, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree there. I think my issues with the plot and most of my issues with the movie is plot. Um, Cause I think the style is cool. Although sometimes a little too manic for my taste. I just wish yeah, Liam Neeson. Whoa, this is a performance. <laughs> it's a few <laughs> different kinds like, of performances too. Yeah, they're yeah. like I was like, oh damn, I didn't know Liam Neeson could play this like manic fucking. I don't know. I I was like, he was playing notes that he doesn't normally play. That he was, was doing enjoying. a lot. Um, yeah, and Frances McDormand is is fine as a romantic lead. She's pretty good in the movie. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't like, unfortunately add a lot, but... as as is kind of the tradition with this style. They don't give their uh, female characters a whole lot of interesting stuff to do, unfortunately. Right, and and even less so back then. Um, it's kind of her Vicky Vale thing, but yeah, I mean she's she's fine, but it yeah. you know it's she doesn't have a lot to to work with. No, not really. And, and basically, everybody's playing an archetype of sorts. I mean, it's a very archetypal story. Yeah. Um, my issues with it is I think they lean way too heavily on the 3D skin conceit. It's just – I know it's a goofy movie. Obviously, this is not based on reality. But it keeps going back to that. And I felt like I felt like yeah. modern day Phantom of the Opera in the city is good enough. You don't yeah. need to do this like weird mad scientist character running around with fake skin everywhere. I mean, I think, you know, like disguising as the villains and stuff like that, that has some fun set pieces involved. I, maybe there's other ways you could write that in, but... Uh, well, I, th I think also there's a point when the movie can kind of back away from that and it kind of keeps leaning into it uh, in ways that are, like, not totally logical. Right. Um, I think what uh, we like, end up here, though, is the magic beans issue, you know? A little bit, yeah. Um, I, wait, explain that. Explain what you mean by that. <laughs> so there's a theory, a writing theory called the magic beans theory that says, you know, you're allowed to use one magic bean, but not two. I might be explaining this incorrectly from the last time I heard it. But basically, you know, you already have him like scarred and burned and he's, yeah, and he's injected this... with all this stuff so that now he's like super strong. It doesn't feel pain and has rage issues. Yes. You have yeah. a character. Ta-da. But now, but then you're also using like this, like magic skin stuff to have him have another superpower that has nothing really to do with the other one. And like, the, there's like a tension kind of between those two ideas. It's like he had two great ideas and couldn't decide which one to go with. So he just used both. Yeah. And they kind of forget about the whole severed nerves thing. Like, yeah, it kind of comes back like, in some parts, but yeah, well, but only when it's convenient. Cause he'll like take a punch and be like, Oh, but it's like, right, that right, right. fucking hurt. Like, you know, but then something, you know, 
Like he'll get stabbed through the hand and it's like, ha ha. Uh, so right. yeah, there's a little bit of dissonance. Or I, in I, comedy, I, they would call this a hat on a hat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of agree with you. I, I think, um, and again, I think that kind of is just one of those things that works better in comic books because, you know, like Spider-Man has spider strength and has the web yeah. slinging and has the spider sense. But, but again, like, but those all come has, from one source. And they can kind of use those different elements in tandem for the story. Yeah. You know, so it's like one issue will probably lean a little bit heavier on the spider sense or whatever. So it doesn't feel as disparate. Mm hmm. But no, I, I agree with you. Like, and I think, it, it, like, it, it makes sense that he would want to, like, be working on this stuff to try and get his physical appearance back to normal so he could meet his lover again. That's all fine. I just think it weaves itself into the plot a bit too much sometimes. Um, I do think that the final showdown on the scaffolding is great. And that is, like, to me, feels like, oh, there it is. That's where he went with Spider-Man. Like, that whole set yeah. piece... Felt very much proto Spider Man, which is funny because there was nothing about the character that lends itself to uh, uh, having any kind of advantage in like a sky skyscraper. No, in uh, fact, that's the tension of the scene. But yeah, yeah, I just no, the I, way it's shot, the way it's like the whole oh, sequence totally. feels like a final sequence in a Spider Man movie. Well, honestly, like also that chase sequence with like the helicopter, like a lot of the action is really good in this and yeah. Uh, All the time, but good. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it definitely has like a more conservative budget than Spider-Man. Right. Um, or any, and that is seems small budget in comparison to like an Avengers film. Oh yeah. I mean, it's insane the way it's um, like skyrocket, that like the, yeah. the money that's being invested into these things. But, um, Overall, I thought it was like I. Here's the thing: I'm a sucker for exactly this kind of thing, and I, I think it's because we grew up with it. You know, like I yeah. definitely, like I felt like I was watching a movie I'd seen before, but in a in the best way. Like I, I think this is you know of that same DNA of those movies that aren't the best, but I still think they're a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you're interested in anything. Any of the things we've been talking about here, you want to see kind of like where some of these tropes come from. Um, this is a really fascinating movie to watch. But if you're like really only into like the MCU and you're like even Spider-Man feels too old to you, this is really going to seem dated. Yeah, you probably want to enjoy it. It'll probably just... I can definitely see an, a younger audience just thinking it it just comes across as corny, like everything yeah. being corny. And and I get that there's some corny stuff, but I there's also a lot of intentional camp and intentional pull. Right, and that's a that's um, a tone thing. That's Sam Raimi, like it's in there in, in well, it's in there. I wouldn't say all of his films. I mean, a simple plan isn't particularly corny, but um certainly the Evil Dead movies and that kind of yeah. like wackiness is in this movie as well also i think the character looks cool uh yeah he i mean he has a great profile and i i, I you think that hush wasn't at least a little bit influenced by this fucking guy like uh oh, yeah. you know uh, uh for creating a superhero from no source material i think this was a lot of fun yeah. also did dark horse I, do like 
I think they did a Some little ex- bit of a run. extended Darkman comics, because I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, I think there was some comic or books somebody, after. Yeah. Um, it feels very Dark Horse, especially at that time. <laughs> yeah. I also so, remember, like, I vaguely remember this movie existing when I was a kid, but it always seemed, like, too dark and too, like, horror uh, for, like, you well, know what I, I mean? I think they sold it as that because he was mostly known for Evil Dead. Yeah. I don't think it, it actually... I mean, it's violent as as all hell. I mean, it is really violent, but and it's certainly not. Well, I think any it's horror. So, it's so weird because I want to say it's not for kids, but it kind of is for kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, definitely like like that. You know that 12 era. Year, Twelve yeah. PG thirteen. This is a firm like PG. This is what PG thirteen. No, this is an R film though. Oh well, it's probably the violence. Um. And there's a few fucks in it, too. The word, not the action. Yeah. Um, but I just remember, like, seeing trailers and and stuff, or, like, on, like, the TV Guide channel. And, and kind of, like... Yeah, yeah. Sen- and I got similar vibes as, like, The Crow and stuff. But it's, like... Well, that, see, that's interesting because I would say both The Crow and this movie were sort of evolutions of what Burton brought to... Oh, Yeah. To the thing, but in t- like total different ends of the spectrum. Yes, yeah. The, uh, this is definitely like the 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 campier side. The, yeah, this the is pulp like hero. This and, is like the Joker dancing to Prince side. Yeah, and, and the, crow the crow is all is like, like the brooding, dark, gothic stuff. And you know what? I love that movie too. Yeah. I I really I agree with everything you're saying, but I had a hell of a time with this movie. Mm-hmm. I. Was I thoroughly enjoyed it, but this is so up my wheelhouse. It's not even funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. I'll say that. Um. Okay, and actually, we have a bit of an announcement for our next episode. We are going to have a special guest, Keith. Uh, tell us who's coming on the next episode and what movie we are discussing with them. Uh, we are going to have a special guest. Uh, is, is very exciting for me. Uh, his name is Brian O'Connell. Um, he is one of my improv mentors. I believe I've mentioned him on the podcast a couple times. I've definitely quoted him on the podcast a few times. Uh, yeah, and he's also he's been doing improv for a long time. Um, very good at it. Uh, coaches, teaches, and he's also a director. Um, he's directed a few feature films. Um, he's also, you know, directed some sketch comedy with his group, Dr. God. Uh, I, he has a TV show right now that, that he helped produce, uh, uh, I can't think, uh, I think it's called Helden, uh, where it's like they, they watch old cartoons and riff on them. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he, uh, in 2015, he directed an indie horror comedy called Bloodsucking Bastards, um, and in the next episode, we are going to have him on to chat about it. Yes. And it, he'll be specifically on for the streaming homework segment. Um, so it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to, it's not going to be as much of a review per se, as it is just kind of, uh, an interview with him and talking about his film and yeah, a conversation uh, about it. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be a good time and I'm really excited about it. So, and, uh, if you want to catch up with, uh, with what we're talking about, it's available streaming on Amazon prime. Yeah. I, I think you can also rent it if you don't have a subscription to prime, but, um, yeah, yeah. it's available on Amazon video. Um, on demand. Check it out. 
And uh, yeah, listen in. It's going to be, I'm very excited. I think it's been going to be a, a really good time. Cool. So if you have any opinions about any of the things we talked about in this episode or previous, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media, um, Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. Uh, you can like us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. And you can leave us a one-sentence review and a star rating on your favorite podcatchers. We are now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all the things. You can find me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy, And you can read my reviews that I write for the Idaho State Journal uh, by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. That should take you to the movie section of their website. Keith, what are your things? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid, where I uh, break incredible news like a face-off remake. Um, <laughs> you can also follow me on Instagram for my art account at Sticky Note Aesthetic. All right, and that'll be the end of the episode. Take the fucking elephant! Take the fucking elephant! That was good. That was one of your better impressions. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>